This is Pound in Victory. Well, I would uh, just welcoming everybody once again to the broadcast we're putting together here and thanking you for uh, following us. We're going to start our second episode tonight, and mm-hmm. Christina's here with me. So last time we talked, talked about where you lived and some of your childhood. Right. I find it strange that you don't have many baby pictures, if any. Yeah, well, see, that's how poor we were. We didn't have a camera. And that's a fact. And, you know, I don't remember any pictures coming until I was in school, right? Did anybody, like, did your parents ever tell you, like, what kind of baby you were? Um, Not not really, no. Um, Were you a fat baby? Skinny? uh, How much did you weigh? I was was good looking all the time. (laughs) How much did you weigh when you were born? (laughs) I've never heard these things. I never did either, to be honest with you. That nothing was ever spoken of. You were like born that. in the winter. Yes, I was. The yeah. dead of winter. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe that's why I don't mind Wisconsin, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're a hardy breed up here. It's uh You said you're third oldest? Yeah. Well, there was one before that that uh, they lost at birth. Like right before you or oldest? Older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was think, it like a stillborn or? Yeah, I believe it was. And that was what would have been between my two older brothers. Was it a boy or a girl? Or a girl. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there would have been Did age. you, like, have, like, a funeral and everything? I don't recall that. Nobody ever talked much about it. When you were leading up to school, so, like, four or five, that sort of age, did you look forward to school? Um, were you excited for it? You know, when I first started, mm-hmm. my my very first memory was... Very confusing because the teacher was doing some kind of a roll call. She's taking attendance? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a weird thing about your family in particular. And she kept asking for Arnold, and I read along with the rest of them. I kept looking around. Like, who is <laughs> who is who this? Who is this idiot not answering? Well, that's what I thought. Why it isn't the answer? <laughs> and uh, then not... Too many moments after that, she was standing over the top of me because I was called Tim all my life, and my birth name was Arnold. Why is that? My parents disagreed on names, and uh, they came to a compromise. Yep. So she got to put Arnold on the birth certificate, and they called me Tim. That's why, so like, not just you and your family, but others as well. Right. You have a, a, like, name that you go by, and it doesn't have a single thing to do like, it's not short for. No, no, because William James was Mike. Yeah. yeah. Gerald Dennis uh-huh. was Pat. Like Patrick? Yeah. But just Pat. Pat. Okay. And Arnold was Tim. Mm-hmm. Tony, that was pretty close because his name was Anthony. Yeah. But they just called him Tony. And mm-hmm. then Richard was Hans. So did they, they agreed on Tony's name. Yeah, somewhat. Uh-huh. And then uh, Christine... She, they called her Tina. And then there was Charlotte, and they called her Shotzi. Right. Didn't have a thing to do with her name. No. But they did have that compromise, and they got along with it. Right. She got to pick the birth certificate name, and he picked the one. Your government used. name. Yeah. And they got to pick what, he got to pick what you were called. 
Right. And so in school, it was, you know, when she started using that name Arnold, I, I didn't relate at all. And then finally she was over the top of me, and that was the first introduction to my real name, really. <laughs> and, you know, but I never I never lost that name. Mm-hmm. You know, the others, when they, you know, they hit 18 years old, they just quit using the, the names that my father picked. And They I, stopped using them, but yeah. he didn't. No. No. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only one, and my dad were the only ones that kept them, you know, going. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I I have nothing against either one of them. You know, either name. No, but. I feel like it's easy to tell who knows you from and from where do they know you, depending on how they address you. Yeah, like when I was working, you know. Yeah. Most people knew me as with, Arnie. Uh, Arnie, and then, uh, <laughs> but when I got into the ministry and I got into the church and things like that, I I had to uh, I had to talk to the bank because when put a, people had put offerings in the church offering, they made a mistake. Instead of making the check out to the church, they'd make it out to me. Yeah, and even the podcast says, with Pastor Tim King. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not your government name. So I had to talk to the, church, the bank and tell them that that was me. So then on all my bank records, it shows Arnold, also known as... Yeah, it like an actual alias, like yes. an AKA. Yes, and then also in medical records. Yep. Everybody, everybody knows me as Tim now, not Arnold. Yeah. But it was even confusing for me because I'd be sitting in the waiting room, and then they'd come <laughs> out and they'd ask for Tim. I wasn't sure if they were talking to me or somebody else. <laughs> so. Yeah. But you now just I, wait. Now, now they have your picture. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm used to it, you know, because everybody transferred over. Yeah. So I can, when they'd call Tim, I'd just get up. When you were growing up, like around that age, like getting ready to go to school, did you guys have like a lot of pets and stuff? Because you lived out in the country. Well, we had a lot of cats. Um, you and, don't even like cats. No. <laughs> but they were barn cats, huh? Yeah. They, yeah. they were all over outside. Well, one, I think one of the main reasons was we only lived a half a mile from the town dump. And, oh. and when people want to get rid of animals, that's usually where they drop them, hoping they can find food. And, really? Uh, yeah. That's and uh, so we're the nearest place to that, so they ended up in our yard. Yeah. And we had a lot of them. Yeah. We did on our, when I was growing up, we had like, we had bar, barn cats. <laughs> it's almost how I said it, barn cats and stuff. We had like 13 cats all by the lake. Yeah. Because we had two girls and a boy, and they both had five kittens. At one time, we had about 26 or 7. Yeah, I don't doubt that. But we had a... Barn cats are crazy, too. They'll crawl in your car in the winter. I had one ride 40 miles home. Yeah, we've had that happen, too, but they didn't pick the right place, a couple of them. Yeah. They they chose around the fan belt area. Yikes. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, my sister, my littlest sister, she had one cat that she just loved. It was her mm-hmm. her little darling, you know. And uh, then there was another one that was a stray that showed up at our house that uh, had some kind of a hatred for my mother. And <laughs> when she'd walk outside, it would attack her. Really? Yeah, it got her legs a couple of times really bad. Oh, that's terrible. But behind the garage, we had burning barrels out there mm-hmm. to burn garbage. And when we had them set on the cinder blocks, so I climbed up on the garage roof, and I was going to help my mother out. And I waited for that cat for a long time. 
and I was going to get rid of it. And it went from the barn. Get rid of it, he says. Well, that was the kind voice saying it. I know. Because I was, I had a twenty-two with me, uh-huh. and uh, a twenty-two caliber rifle. <laughs> and when when the cat ran from the barn, it came so quick. I didn't get a shot and went underneath those boards that the garbage barrels were on. Yeah. So it went in there. So I moved over to the other side of the roof and I waited. And I waited for it to come out the other end. I knew it was gonna, you know. And you were on the roof. By yeah. The way. Yeah. Looking down let, at it. Let that sink in. <laughs> He's a kid on the roof with a gun. Okay. Looking for a cat. Well, it went in the one end and it came out the other one, but it was the wrong cat. It was my sister's little no. baby. And, yeah. You did get a shot on that one. Yeah. Oh man. That made me feel really bad for a long time. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't trying to be deceptive or deceptive or anything on that nature. I, I just wanted nobody hurt. So I, I did bury it and I never said anything. <laughs> well, if she's listening, <laughs> she, she'll finally know. She will get closure at, at long last. Forty years later. Forty years later, what what actually ended up happening to her cat? May it rest in peace. And Did you when, ever get the other one? Uh, yeah, at yeah. A later date. Oh, okay. And then we did have uh, one particular dog. We had a lot of them on and off because we hunted a lot and we had coon hounds and things like that. But um, I was pretty young when we had uh, a collie, mm-hmm. and of course the old show Lassie. Um, oh yeah. That dog was named after that one. And uh, one day we were out playing ball in the yard. We had a huge front yard, and we were all out there playing ball. And that dog had a tendency to chase cars. Mm-hmm. And it heard a car coming up the road and run out there. And I'm I'm sure it was done by accident, but the guy ran it over. And uh, we were all standing there watching. And he got oh out of the car, God. and he looked back, and the dog was raising its head up and trying to move. And the man got back in the car and he put it in reverse and <gasps> back two times over it with the front and back axle. And then he ran over it again. Oh, and, my God. And, you know, it was a long time, but I finally come to the reasoning that I think maybe maybe he was trying to be merciful and put it out of its misery. I would hope. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. Otherwise, you know. that's a pretty psychotic and malicious thing to yeah, do. Yeah, in front of all the little kids. Oh, yeah. my God. But, you know, I, I, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I I just started yeah. believing that he probably seen it was hit bad and hmm. didn't want it to lay there and suffer in front of us. But that was uh, one of the best dogs we ever had. You were outside a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did you guys do, primarily? In the summer, chase fireflies and... You know, I we did too. A couple of things about that. I hate spiders, and then I came to the realization not that long ago that the only reason the only reason the fireflies weren't moving so you could catch them is because they were stuck. They were stuck in a spider web out in the field, mm-hmm. which is a sickening thought. But we used to pick them up, and we would take their glowing part, and we would like spread it on our face and hands. Yeah, and it would glow. Yeah, what an entertainment. We didn't think a thing of it. No. But, you know, I just said to mom, I haven't seen any fireflies this year. Not one. I said it to Carlos, too. I even posted about it on social media, and I was like, has anybody seen any fireflies? And they were like, yeah, lots. But I haven't seen a single firefly. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Well, I don't have to spend half the time outside that I used to. So. <laughs> yeah, that could be part of it. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like they. I used to see them just in the yard or, like, even driving down the road, I would see them more. Because our church is out in the country. 
Right. Did you guys, like, were you involved in sports or anything like that? Uh, we had uh, Little League teams playing baseball. Did you play Little League? Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't Little League. It was Bar League. <laughs> yeah. For the kids. You know, they, all the bars. We had more bars than we did anything, you know. Every we bar, still might, yeah. Every bar had a, a you know, the locals that they hung out there, and then they put teams together and play against each other. You know, back then, all the bars had baseball fields. Some still do. Yeah. So, uh, otherwise, most of our inter- entertainment was just with ourselves and bike riding and things like that when we were little. As a, as a little kid, like, what was your disposition? Were you a hyper kid? Or were you more laid back? Like, in our family, I feel like Joe, he was real active, hyper, always into something. I was more, like, docile. And this is, like, before or in the beginning of grade school. Were you, like, were you, like, the hyperactive kid, always doing something, going? I feel like you're always doing something now. Like, you're always petering around. <laughs> like you stand up to watch TV for the most part. You know what I mean? Well, let, let me put it this way. I was probably the only one in a place that would harness up workhorses. Yeah. And hook them up to a cultivator mm-hmm. and cultivate the garden for my dad while he was gone. Like you would plow? Yeah, with a team of horses. How many horses did you have? On and off. Usually four at a time. My dad would break them for people. That's train amazing. Them to, train them to pull wagons or be able to ride them, you know. Yeah. So. We, we he had, was a jack of all trades. Yeah. Which we'll get into, but. So, you know, I, I would do things like that. You know, I I would hook up horses and use them. And, mm-hmm. uh, none of the, my older brothers wouldn't. You know, and I was so small at that time, I'd have to stand on something to get the, you know, collars and the harnesses over the top of the horse because hmm. I was quite little and uh, I know how to do it but it, you know I was so small I had to have a lift to get up there to do it but I was never intimidated by him you know, even though I probably should have been but I uh, I did do a lot of work in the garden and things like that so as you know I, I mean I, I was also aware of the fact that our family wasn't wealthy but I would uh there was a farm a mile from us, and I would go there and I'd work, even though they had seven kids of their own. Sometimes it's hard to get your own kids to do what you want them to do. So I was, Unless it's me, right? I was the neighbor kid, and I went and, man, I spent a lot of time on that farm. It was just a neighbor? Well, it or it was, was a relative? Well, it was my, it would have been my first cousin, but she was quite, quite older than me. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she was uh, already married and having children they still have that farm. Their children do. Mm. One of their boys. Yeah. Yeah, they moved into a new place. Here we have generational farmers. That not everybody has those. I don't I don't think I think people don't fully understand what it's actually like in Wisconsin if they're not from here. But you really do have like family farms. Yeah. Second, third, fourth, fifth generation farmers. Same barns, same houses. Yeah. There are some of them getting tied in with the government and turning them into farm industries. Yeah, that's true. They're subsidized with now. Several thousand cows at a time. Mm-hmm. But there are family farms yet, and people love it. So you guys gardened. Oh, yeah. You didn't have livestock, though. Well, at one point we did. Like beef cattle or what? No, they were milking cows. But it was small. We only had eight, I believe it was. 
Oh. And then the neighbor on the other side of us, he had uh, eight kids. Mm-hmm. And he asked his, my dad if we could keep a cow for him and milk it, and then, you know, he'd have the fresh milk and yeah. stuff for their kids. And my dad agreed with that, and mm-hmm. it lasted for quite a while until we went playing ball. And then something terrible happened, and he lost his cow, and we ended up losing all of them. What? Yeah, we were, we loved playing ball. Yeah. And it was in the fall, and we went out, and we uh, started playing baseball, and that happened to be the last call we put the milk machine on, you know, you you put the strap over the top of it, and then there's... Oh, like a mechanical milker. Yeah. Okay. So we put the, you know, the cups on the cow and started milking, and we got out there playing ball and forgot about it. Oh, my God. And it was a big can that the milk goes into, and... When my oldest brother remembered it, we went running, and by then it was too late. You milked the cow to death? Well, it didn't die like that, but it was it destroyed the cow. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a, a memory of, of a, almost horror because my dad worked a 3 to 11 shift that day at a, a dairy. And when he got home, he, of course, we had to tell him about it. And, and it just started snowing. Mm-hmm. And it was 11.30 at night. And he went out and he knocked the cow down and hung it on the side of the barn. And we had to spend the rest of the night butchering and uh, packing all the meat up. Wow. Yeah, it was a childhood memory, I'll tell you that. We I don't even know how to follow that up. So, well, you know, asked how we stayed busy and what we did for activities, and that was one of them. I'll file that under traumatic incident. <laughs> You know, my dad was, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I considered him a very good father. Yeah, I really did. And um, <laughs> I guess the best way to say it, I, I, I sometimes describe it like this in all their, their ignorance. <laughs> my yeah. parents were very good parents. Um, <laughs> they were the best parents they knew how to be. Yes. Yeah. And, and I never regretted that. Mm-hmm. By any means, you know, but my dad was very different. You know, he when he when he thought somebody deserved a whipping, I can't recall him ever slapping anybody in the hind end or anything. You know, mm-hmm. he would kick you. Thank God we were all light; you could fly. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that night he lined us up against the wall of the barn and he just walked back and forth, you know, <laughs> kicking us and. Then he took care of the cow. Yeah. One time we were, when I was small, we had the neighbor boys that were the same age as us, and we were all hiding in the bushes at the end of the yard, and mm-hmm. the cars were coming by, and we were throwing apples at them. Mm. And uh, my dad seen us, and he come out, and he'd grab us by the back of the shirt, and he'd kick us. Mm. Then he'd grab another one, and then he'd tell you in between, don't run away, don't run away. <laughs> How do you not? There were six of us. Right. Three of us and three of the neighbor boys. And the neighbor lady come out and she said, what's going on? Because it was all the screaming going on. Mm -hmm. He said, just go back in the house. I got it taken care of. (laughs) It was her kids. (laughs) (laughs) He was disciplining them. Yeah, she ran back in the house. (laughs) She didn't want to get kicked. That's who you spent a lot of your time with besides your siblings? Um, was your neighbors nearby? Yeah, they were close enough. They were friends or they were... No, not really. 
They were like cousins and, or it was like friends of convenience. That that family was no relation. Oh, okay. Or were they more friends with your siblings? I don't think they were actually friend friends with anybody. Oh, really? But they were neighbors. We entertained each other for a little while. Right. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, they were the closest house, you know. I mean, living where we lived, you know, you're at least a half a mile from the next neighbor, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. So when you started school, did you guys, did they bus or did you have to like walk or bike to school? Oh, we walked 40 miles without shoes on. Yeah, <laughs> uphill both ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we we had a bus. You know, it's funny because I think, I feel like it's valuable for kids to hear this type of account because I think it's easy to like read books. In your last episode, I said you grew up like Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. And like kids read books like that, but it's so far removed that they don't, unless they grow up in the country and they live this type of a life now, like they can't fathom how your life was or they think it's very distant you know what I mean? Right. And you see that across the board. Like, I was just listening to somebody the other day, and they were like, a lot of people feel some sort of way about, you know, the civil rights movement and things like that, reparations, all that. And they're like, but my grandma, like my grandma that I grew up with, picked cotton. Like, people, I think people get, like, they get the timeline of things. You want like, me to give you an example of that? Yeah. I went into the military in 1968. Yeah. That was like a a high time. Well, it was only like two years maybe after the Martin Luther King. Yeah. And all the uh, marches. Yeah. Well, living where we lived, you were totally ignorant to anything that was going on in the world. Well, and, up here? Yeah, it's primarily white. Yes. And Native American people. Like Germanic, Nordic people, and Native Americans, Indigenous American people. Right. So before, before I joined the military, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably seen two people of black nature in this area. Yeah, two and they black were people. they were passing through. Right. And then I, when I we'd go on uh, these little mini vacations once a year down to Milwaukee. Which is like a metropolitan area. Yes. And there was, you know, they they had their neighborhoods down there. And my aunt and uncle, one of them, you know, uh, one family, they lived right in the black districts. Yeah. Right in the middle of them. Mm -hmm. And they were the only white people I ever seen there. Right. But they they all got along, you -hmm. know. But see, there was such a, a difference back then. And my uncle was a very aggressive man, but, you know, he run gas station, 24-hour gas stations in the depth of what people would have said the hood, you know. Right. And, you know, we didn't fear anything, you know, because everybody got along. Mm -hmm. But when I joined the military in 1968 and living where we live, there was no racism, Okay, right. when all these things were going on um, down south, I had no knowledge of it at all. No, I get into the military, and uh, the race issue was there. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out why. You know, why is this going on? 
Mm-hmm. You know, why are why is all this hatred being spewed out? And right. this might sound crazy, but I was out of the army and sitting watching the TV one day, watching a documentary about Martin Luther King, and all of a sudden it just hit me, but wildly hit me that most of these guys that were coming over there and getting stationed around me there, they were just coming out of those episodes down south. Yeah. With burnings of people and houses and hanging people. And I'm sitting there thinking, no wonder they had such a chip on their shoulders. He was assassinated in 1968. So that was like the pinnacle sort of. Yeah. Of that time. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Like, it's just, and it's not even, like, intentional. It's just, like, sheer ignorance at that time. You just, it, there was no exposure to that in no. the North. No. No. So it's jarring. And and when you when you were around uh, the Black District, everybody got along. Yeah. And, you know, I, to be honest with you, um, I, I only see race as being built now. Mm-hmm. It, it's people are making it happen yeah because growing up here it, it just wasn't an issue and it wasn't in the in the entire state as far as i'm concerned right if you saw people that didn't have certain privileges it was related to income it was in relation to poverty if there was a disparity in this area it was clear that it was because of income yeah or lack thereof rather than skin color exactly yeah but we just it's primarily white here but yeah it's i try to explain (laughs) to people sometimes that like there just isn't the exposure in this particular area it's very it's primarily white people but i was so ignorant to it myself that i wasn't racist okay so it, even when I got out of the service in 1971, mm-hmm. I uh, started driving truck, and I was with another guy that has already been out there driving. Yeah. And I was re- working with him, and we went down to uh, I don't know if it was Mississippi or someplace, but we had a uh, it was um, several doctors that were buying up all kinds of old plantations, and they were really building them up with a certain breed of cattle. Oh. And we took them down there. Um, mm-hmm. And they just, between them, they just pulled money out of their pockets and gave us the thousands of dollars on cash. But the guy I was with, he turned around to me and he said, we got to get to town and get a cashier's check. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So we ran into town. I don't remember the town. You know, I, it was so far gone. But we went into town and we got out and he was parked right in front of a bank. And I got out of the truck and I started across the street. And he said, where are you going? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going over to have a beer. And he said, you can't. And I said, I'm, just, I'm not going to drive, you are. And he said, that's not what I mean. He said, we're in a segregated town. And I said, I don't know what you mean. That's and I took off. Blowing. And I went in, and this is in 1971. And I went in, and I walked up to the bar, and there was a big black man in there behind the bar. And mm-hmm. He said, what do you want? I said, I want a beer. And he looked past me, and then he looked back at me, and he looked past me again, and he looked back at me, and he says, I think you ought to get out of here. Yeah, I, I, I bet. Said, I said, no, I want, I want a beer. And he looked over the top of me again, and I turned around, and there's about a dozen guys standing there glaring at me. 
He says, I think you ought to get out of here. <laughs> so I turned around and walked out. And I thought... They probably had one place they could go. And like in a segregated town and then you walk in you're like i'd like a beer and you're white yeah and they're like really you have a hundred places you could go we have one and you're gonna waltz in here yeah and and see that's how unconscious to that i was right i just it meant nothing to me you know that they would be black right and it's it's interesting because the reason I even we even brought that up is because like you grew up in this very like little home, like little home on the prairie mm-hmm. lifestyle, and it wasn't that long. It's very, how jarring does it have to be, like to a person that you grew up like that and you now have an iPhone. Like right. that's bananas. Mm-hmm. To see like that type of. But you know that's why I wanted to do the broadcast that we am here, because um, you, you, a lot of people never lived this kind of life, and there's a lot of people that have never been exposed to those type of things. Mm-hmm. That you know you lived in a, even if there was uh, African Americans and whites and you know and there was no racist racist uh, things going on. Right. So you know you know in this ignorance you just raised up and you know everything's good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got away from here that I found out all these people have all these problems. Right. And then when I got back, you know, I still wasn't racist, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got out, and that, that episode happened down there. The guy I was with was really nervous, you know, <laughs> because, you know, he'd been driving truck down south. And right. Knew. But, you know, that's why, you know, living up here and being born and raised in this atmosphere, it was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, like I said, when I started out, I'm not that old, but yet I lived in both worlds, you know, yeah. without the electricity for a while and, and uh, without the plumbing and then another flouse with the electricity, but no plumbing mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and then go like from Like you've there. plowed a garden with a horse, yeah, but you've also had a rototiller. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so. A Troy boat too. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that's quite a stretch from the horses and it the cultivator is. to the Troy Bell. But, you know, that was some of our ent- entertainment we were talking about, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, and I did a lot of entertainment without my parents knowing, you know, because they hung out at the bars a lot. And one time I hooked those horses up in a, uh, a team, you know, and we had a logging sled. That's two runners with a beam across between them to connect them. And if you cut trees down in the woods, you lay them on top of that beam and chain them on, and you drag them back to the house. Is it like like a like a dog sled or like a Santa sled? There's nothing on it, just two runners and a beam. So oh. I made, I took pieces of plywood and I put it on behind and in front of the beam, so there were places to sit. So it's like an H. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they're big, heavy, heavy runners and big, heavy beam that goes across the middle. Yeah. So, you know. I was having trouble picturing it. And you back these horses up, and there's a pole that goes up, you know, that hooks onto the the, uh, collars of the horses. Mm -hmm. And then there's heel chains that you hook on to the runners. Mm -hmm. So the horses aren't being hurt. You know, the collar's a real padded thing, you know, around their shoulder area. Yeah. And then the heel chains hook onto the sled. Mm-hmm. So they pull all, all the weight that way. Yeah. And um, I was hooking them up, and I was 
standing right in front of the sled, hooking up the heel chains, and something spooked the horses. And they took off, and it clipped me in the legs, and there was a lot of snow on the ground. And I dropped, and I, d I went down far enough in the snow that they pulled the sled right over the top of me. You know, then I, I got up, got myself all together, and I calmed them down. And that could have killed you. Yeah, but... You know, back then I didn't even think in those terms. There's a lot of stories that I feel like I'm going to end up saying, that could have killed you. And, you know, I didn't think about it because, uh, you know, you just don't think in those terms. It's not your time yet. But what <laughs> Invincible. happened What happened was I, I got, again, the neighbor kids, mm -hmm. my younger siblings. I all loaded them all on the sleigh. And about a half a mile down the road from us, there was a, a lake mm -hmm. called Jim's Lake. And I, I took it down there, and I got out on the lake with the horses. And now these were big horses. <laughs> My dad had been breaking them for, you know, pulling mm -hmm. wagons and stuff for people. And I got on that lake, and there was very, very, very little snow, like an inch or two. Mm -hmm. And I started snapping those reins and making them run. And they were on going ice? as hard as they could run. And all of a sudden, they lost their balance. Oh, no. And I'm sitting you know the pole length behind them mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm god's my witness i could look right underneath them when their bodies went up when they lost their balance i was looking right underneath both horses and they come down and they hit that ice and it just shook the whole entire lake and then when they fell they were still chained to the sled and i had to jump around them get in front and grab their their uh, bits next mm -hmm. to their mouth and hold on to them and try to calm them down and when i got them all calmed down then i told everybody to get back on and i slowly walked them off the lake oh my goodness <laughs> oh that was frightening you know i watched some of these kids like my grandson he was doing these uh burnouts you know with his car yeah the closest i got to that when i was a kid i took those same horses and I went up on this little gravel road and it was a real windy hilly road and I I got going so fast with those horses that sled would come up on the banks of the <laughs> road like going around the corners yeah, yeah. Going around the corners and stuff yeah you were drifting with the drifting with the horses and yeah <laughs> yeah quite adventurous yeah my dad had two of these black horses he was breaking one one took a long time. The other one wasn't too bad. But I took the crazy one one time, and me and my older brother put our sister on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we had a chance to do anything, the horse took off. And she was hanging on for dear life. But she was also screaming her lungs out. And the horse took it off out across this hay field next to the house. And it went out and made a big loop. Mm -hmm. And she's screaming. My dad was in the house. He could hear her. And he came out, and the horse was heading for the barn. The barn door was wide enough and tall enough the horse could run into it. Mm. And my dad ran over there and stuck his arms up in his lair and spread his legs out, and he starts screaming, and the horse come to a dead halt, drove its hoofs into the ground, and my sister came over to the top, <laughs> and he caught her. Wow. And Talk yeah. about reflexes. Yeah, and he, he you know, he, he saved her. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, man, that upset him too. But you know, he was good at catching things. I'm reminded when you said that we were on Joan Heidi's podcast and you mentioned jumping out of the, the top 
floor of the barn. Yeah. When you were a kid. Up in the haymow. Yeah. We'd get done doing the chores and getting ready to go to the house that night. And, and uh, I was the only one that did it. But mm-hmm. I'd climb up the ladder, get up in the haymow. I knew he was coming out of the milk house. And I'd stand there in that big wide open door and wait for him. And I'd jump out and let him catch me. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I relate that to my walk with God now. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have a fatherly heaven, uh, a heavenly father that we look to and call on. My wife's laughing at me for that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and when when I relate that because I think back about when my dad, when I was looking out that barn, and he come through to me, he looked like a huge man, and you know, and he a wasn't giant. good good shape back then, but he would just look like a monster to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'd jump out of there and didn't have a care one, and I don't like heights. No, you don't. At all. Mm-mm. And yet, that was my saving grace right there. And I'd jump out, and he'd catch me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the time I was a teenager, he made me quit. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if people are listening, but they're wondering why you started talking first about your roots and your past. I'm, I'm doing it because not everybody has a relationship with God. And especially people in homes where they would never introduce to anything. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to correct that a little bit because I'm going to say this. And you know, as you go on through listening to the podcast, you're going to learn more. I was hauled down to the end of a driveway of a church. And my next older brother, we were pretty close in age. So they took us down there, dropped us off, and they sent us in for confirmation classes. Mm-hmm. And when the night that I got, the night before confirmation now, I wasn't a well-behaved child mm-hmm. so the minister I can visualize him today as well as I did back then mm-hmm. you know and he was so skinny and so bony and he had his finger in my face and he said I'm going to confirm you tomorrow and I want you to know the only reason I'm doing that is so nobody else has a have to put up with you wow and he said when I get done don't come back until I'm dead hmm. and <laughs> Isn't that going to be weird if he's in heaven and then you're there? No. <laughs> you can be like, "Hi, surprise." So you know, I, I you know, I didn't go back, and he died. You yeah. Know? So, um, but the, the reason I'm telling that is because religion is a dangerous thing, and relationship is what God looks for. Right. Yeah. One on one, He wants a relationship with people. Mm-hmm. He wants to be their father. Mm-hmm. And even religious people, many of them out there that have never had that experience. Right. And that's why I'm doing it. Because no matter where we find ourselves in life, whether we live in what people want to call just absolute poverty. Right. Middle class. Mm-hmm. Or wealthy people. As we go on with this, I'm going to talk about different people that I've met in my life. In all those realms of life mm-hmm. that don't different have a, a relationship with God. Yeah. And the relationship is important. Right. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing from the basis that I'm starting. Mm-hmm. To talk about where I was and wh- how I was raised. Uh, You've never done this in an organized fashion either. It's always been like in conversation. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity for you to kind of go through like an autobiography, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I know from life's experiences how many people are out there that don't know Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
they know of him. Mm-hmm. They they know of him, but they don't know him. Yeah. And the frightening part of that is that Heavenly Father has to say to some, I don't know you, mm-hmm. you know, because people don't make that opportunity. Right. And before it's all over with, I want people to know that. I want I want people to come to the realization that's a necessity and and how to do it. Mm. But, you know, and the reason I'm starting where I'm starting is to let you know that it doesn't matter where you are in life. Right. You know, you can you can be absolutely poor, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm not poor today. No. You know, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. You know, I'm I got a house with electricity now. <laughs> <laughs> Indoor plumbing. And I got a really nice shower. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, I didn't start out that way. No. And yet, you know, how you approach life is makes a lot of difference. You know, mm-hmm. I never felt abused. I never felt like I was missing anything. Some of that stems from, you know, one of my best friends through school that I hung around with. I mean, we were close. We were tight. You know, we did everything together. Mm-hmm. And he lived in a very, very nice home. Yeah. Everybody had their own bedrooms. There were multiple bathrooms. They had game rooms. They had everything you could possibly want. And when we'd get done at the end of the night, he'd say, I'm going to stay at your house. Mm. Because his parents weren't getting along. Yeah. And he'd rather stay in that little two-bedroom home without any plumbing than to go home. He wanted some peace. Yes. Yeah. And then later on, when my wife and I got married, and one of the first places we bought was a 12 by 60 mobile home. Mm-hmm. And we'd have people over, and they wouldn't want to go home. Right. They'd want to stay there. We'd sleep on a chair. We'd sleep on the couch. Yeah. I don't care if I sleep on the floor. I just want to stay mm-hmm. here. And it was the, the presence of God that we had in there. Yeah. You know, so that's why I'm doing this from the start where I'm at as a child because I want to show people no matter what lifestyle you're in, where you're at, doesn't care what you look like, how Mm -hmm. big or small you are, how rich or poor you are, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 